Hey, this is Nikki McCrary, lead pastor at Eastern Heights Baptist Church in Statesboro, Georgia, where we exist to be a life-changing church. So as you listen, I pray that you will be encouraged in your walk with Christ and that your life will be forever changed as you grow in your relationship with Him. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Justin, for leading us in worship this morning. I hope everyone has had a good, good week. How many of you out there would rather be here than in the finest jail in Bullock County this morning? Raise your hand. Amen. Well, good. So we're all glad to be here this morning, right? Good. Well, you've already heard. I hope you'll be here next weekend. Next weekend is going to be a big weekend for us, especially if you have a teenager or a grand teenager. Make sure they're here at 4 o'clock to meet with our youth candidate um, as our next youth pastor. And then 5 o'clock question and answer time grilling session for for our candidate from all the other church members all right some parents as well so no we're not going to grill him just get to know him a little bit better but big weekend for us be in prayer for that it's going to be life-changing weekend for us uh, without any shadow of a doubt so uh, looking forward to uh, that time together we are going to continue our series that we've been in now for uh, several weeks called revival stronger than ever. And as you can see, today's message is where to turn in your darkest moment. We're actually going to be in it for a couple of weeks now, but where to turn in your darkest moment. So if you want to find Second Chronicles chapter 17, you can go ahead and be looking for that again. Uh, that's over in the Old Testament. If you're just joining in with us on this series, uh, be sure to go back and pick up. I don't have time to go back and review everything that we've covered, so go back and pick it up online and, and catch up with us. But Second uh, Chronicles 17 is where we're going to be as we talk about where to turn in your darkest moment. You know, when uh, I was dating Amanda, one of the perks that came with our relationship was her daddy loved to fish and he had a boat, okay? And I liked to fish, but I didn't have a boat because I was really young. And, uh, and so uh, we would go fishing together, just the two of us, not Amanda and I, but my future father-in-law and myself. Now, I was too young and naive to realize that these fishing expeditions were not to be fun, exactly. He was actually sizing me up was what he was doing, okay? Because some of y'all know when you're out in the boat, you, you can't go nowhere. I mean, he's got you, right? And, and I'm stuck there for, for the whole day. And so uh, he, he was just kind of sizing me up. Well, on this particular fishing expedition, he wanted to get out there by daybreak, okay? Which meant I had to get there really, really early, like before the sun came up. Now, for those of you that know me, you know the morning person that I am not. So I show up before daylight, and I'm in a walking coma, okay? The good news is he's got everything ready to go. All I got to do is hop in the truck for our 10-minute ride over to the Tennessee River where we're going to put in and go fishing, all right? Well, 10 minutes is nowhere near long enough for me to get awake. I just got to say that right up front, okay? So I'm still in this coma here. And so we get ready to launch the boat. He hands me the rope to the boat, and he says, Now, when I bump this boat off the trailer, it says, You take the boat and pull it over to the dock while I park the truck. And I said, okay, I mean, it seems simple enough. Key phrase being hold the rope, okay? Uh, that didn't quite turn out the way I thought it was because apparently I'm still in a walking coma because when he bumped the boat off the trailer, it violently jerked the rope out of my hand. At least that's the story that I gave, okay? Uh, I think he just barely bumped it, and I was still in a coma, and it just went right out of my hand, you know. But the bottom line is uh, I didn't have the boat anymore, and it wasn't on the trailer anymore. It was out in the river. And um, 
I didn't know what to do. I had no idea what to do. I mean, I hadn't done this a lot, so I, I really was kind of like frozen for a moment because it was also really cold. But I, I realized right away I was about to have me a dark moment in my life, okay? Because, uh, see, the boat was free, and what, what you don't know is we were putting in at Wilson Dam, which if you know anything about North Alabama where we grew up, that's part of the Tennessee Valley Authority, and they have this huge dam with a lot of spillways to make electricity. What they do is they open up those spillways, and the water flows through there at a rapid rate of speed, and it turns turbines that produces electricity for a lot of people in the area, right? Well, when this water comes through the spillways and goes down through there, it also creates a very strong current, okay, that goes downstream as well. Now, the boat launch is really close to the dam. And you've got this little area, you know, where you launch the boat, and then you've got the area where you get into the current and you're gone, right? And so the boat is free. And so I realized in my dark moment that my chances for a life with Amanda was fixing to float off down the Tennessee River and end before it ever got started, right? And uh, so I became suddenly very awake in this moment, and I realized I had two options, all right? One was I could watch his prize boat. Man, you know what I'm talking about? Every boat that you have is your prize boat, right? I could watch his prize boat float off down into the state of Mississippi somewhere, because that's where it was headed, if I let it go any further. Or I was about to get wet, all right? Well, normally I wouldn't have hesitated, but like I said, it was kind of cold that day. It was about 35 degrees. I'm already freezing. The water's freezing. But I decided I was going to get both wet and cold because the only other option I had was I was going to be dead, all right? And that wasn't going to work out very good either. So I jumped in the water fast as I could. I swam, grabbed that rope, started pulling with all my might back to the dock with his boat. Now, to hear her dad tell the story, he says, all I know is I look in my rearview mirror and this dummy of a boy that wants to marry my beautiful, precious daughter is standing there neck deep in freezing water holding on my boat. You know, I didn't know what to do but I figured it out pretty quick, right? And I made a good decision. I saved his boat, and I saved our relationship, right? And, and so, uh, so, you know, we don't always know what to do. And, and the guy that we're going to look at today is a man who did not know exactly what to do either. But his situation was a lot more dire than mine was. And he's the son of the guy we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. He's the son of King Asa, and his name is Jehoshaphat. All right. Now, that's a weird and unique name, Jehoshaphat. And so I may say it three or four different ways before this is over. And if I do, just ignore me. I just hope I don't say something really bad because we'll have to do that bleep thing on, on the TV. All right. And the rest of you just have to pray for me. All right. But anyway, Jehoshaphat, he's the sixth king in the line of David. Right. So Ezra introduces him this way in chapter two. I'm sorry. Second Chronicles chapter 17 Verse 3, it starts out, it says, The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of his father's earlier years and did not worship the images of Baal. Remember all those false idols that were worshiping? He didn't do that. He sought his father's God and obeyed his commands instead of following the evil practices of the kingdom of Israel. So the Lord established Jehoshaphat's control over the kingdom of Judah. All the people of Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat, so he became very wealthy and highly esteemed, and maybe according to his name, he became fat. I don't know. But anyway, here's the important part, verse 6. He was deeply committed 
to the ways of the Lord. That is, he, he was fully committed to God like we talked about last week, not just when it was popular or when it was convenient. He was deeply committed to the ways of the Lord. So if you've ever been in a tight spot where you didn't know what to do, this King Jehoshaphat fixed to become your new superhero because he gets up in front of God and everybody, and he publicly confesses he has no idea what to do, right? And that's something we find hard to do. But he got up and he did that. Look at the way Ezra introduces him to us here. Um, well, the amazing thing, first of all, let me tell you, the amazing thing about this story is this. Not only did Jehoshaphat not know what to do, but he ended up doing exactly the right thing, and he actually did it eight times in a row. Not just once or twice. I mean, that, that might have been guessing and getting lucky, right? But he did it eight times in a row. So let's look at that story over in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Flip over a few more chapters while you're doing that. Let me remind you about some of the context and background so that the lessons we're going to learn about Jehoshaphat, we can actually apply to maybe a dark moment that is going on in our life or a dark moment that may be headed just around the corner. We've already said he was deeply committed to the Lord, but Jehoshaphat was only 35 years old when he became king. That's pretty young to be a king, right? Now, we've seen younger ones, but 35 is still pretty young. He reigned as king for 25 years. So for the age of 35 to the age of 60, he was king of Judah, the southern kingdom there. And he, he was a good king, like we talked about. He did the right things. He, he uh, went after what God wanted him to do. But his story actually spans two wars and a bad marriage, which some people would say might be considered a third war, right? But uh, we're going to look at that bad marriage next week, but it's going to be a really important thing to look at. It was a pretty big deal. It almost divided the whole kingdom, and it almost scuttled God's plan to bring the Messiah through the line of King David. So it's going to be a good thing to look at. I hope you'll be here next week to hear it. Second Chronicles 20 Verse 2, our story begins. It says, Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They are already at Hazazon Tamar. And then in parentheses, it says, This was another name for En Gedi. And I'm going, why didn't you just use that to start with? It's a lot easier. I'm for going with the easier names because I'm hooked on phonics, right? Okay? Anyway, use the easy names. And there's going to be bigger ones coming. If I mess them up, that's all right. Jehoshaphat gets word here. This huge army's coming after him, coming after him to take over his country. Now, if you heard that news, what would you do? What would you do? Let's look at what he did, verse 3. It says, Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news. I mean, this wasn't something little you got to put yourself in his shoes. This vast army, this huge army, a lot bigger than his, fixing to come and take all of his people, all of his country, like we talked about before with his father before him, right? So this is really a dark moment for Jehoshaphat. We're reading about it. We're going, oh, this is a good story, you know. But no, this is a dark moment for this guy. And so what does he do? It says he begged the Lord for guidance. He wanted to know from God what to do. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. So Jehoshaphat did several strategic things when his dark moment came. Now, I know that he's not here with us and we're not here uh, or there with him, but again, he's having a dark moment. And, you know, he's not here with us, and maybe you're having a dark moment, or maybe you've just come out of a dark moment, or maybe a dark moment's just around the corner for you. But I want you to understand that this is truly a dark moment, and there are lessons to learn from this that we can apply 
to our own life. So what are those things? Well, he did three things right off the bat, right? Number one, he called and begged on God, begged God for guidance in the first part of verse 3. He begged God for guidance. second thing he did is he called for a fast in the last part of verse 3. And then in verse 4, it said that he gathered the people together. You know, last week we looked at that verse. It says, the eyes of the Lord roam the earth. And he does that seeking to make himself strong through those who are fully committed to him. Now, at the first sign of danger, what does Jehoshaphat do? Well, he turns to the Lord, right? Because, see, this was natural for him to do because he was devoted to God. He said he was deeply committed. He was fully committed to God. So it was normal and natural for him to turn to God right off the bat when this dark moment came. So what about you today? What do you do when you face a dark moment? Do you immediately turn to God? Well, not only did he turn to God and ask for guidance, but the second thing he did to show that his commitment was pretty deep is he called on God to have all the people fast. All right? Now, we as Baptists, we've heard this term a hundred thousand times, right? Fast and pray. But we just don't practice it very much, right? Um, now, if you're unfamiliar with what fasting is, maybe you came from a different denomination or you're watching by television or listening to podcasts and you have, you've heard it before but you don't have any idea what it is. It's a time when you abstain or you do not eat food for a certain period of time in order to focus your thinking on God and seeking his guidance. And it's usually for something in particular, something that, that's a big deal that's going on in your life. Maybe during a dark moment, you would fast and abstain from food. Now, early on, I was taught that when you fast, that what you do is you take the time that you would normally spend preparing food, because that's the part that takes the longest, right? And then you also take the time, though, that you would spend eating the food, which doesn't take very long, right? But you take those two together, the time you spend preparing the food and the time eating the food, and instead of doing that, you would spend that time with your attention focused on God, right? That's, that's what I was taught fasting was early on. But I've also discovered another side of fasting along the years, and that is when you fast, you're constantly thinking about food. And any of those, those of you who have ever fasted before, you know that's the truth. I mean, you're, you're doing without food, so that's all you're thinking about is food. You know why? Because you're hungry, all right? That's why you're thinking about food. So it gives a whole other meaning to this practice of fasting. Because you are constantly thinking about food, you are constantly thinking about the fact that you cannot live life by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, right? Remember who else said that during the time that he faced a dark moment? It was Jesus, right, to Satan himself. And so that's another aspect of fasting to keep in mind. But Jehoshaphat, number one, he begged God for guidance. Number two, he called the people together for a fast. And then he called the people together, that is, he called them to come together, to show up in one place together. Now, why would he do that? Well, that's because he realized there was strength in numbers. He, he was wise enough to know that. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. And we know that. Our, our spouses are great examples of that. A great marriage, you know, there's a lot of strength there. Friendships, the same way. 
Uh, two people are better off than one. They can help each other succeed. Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. So our, our theme this year is God's people are better together than we are apart. And the reason why is this. Folks, when we are faithful together together, guess what? God is faithful to join us. When we gather together, God is faithful to join us. And that's why we gather together each and every Sunday. When we do that, what we're doing, we are gathering to invite God's presence into our presence. That's what we're doing this morning. We're inviting God's presence into our presence. And we're inviting God to give us guidance during a dark moment that may be going on in our life. That's why we gather Together, it's important. Well, I told you earlier that Jehoshaphat did eight things in a row right. Well, we've talked about three of them. We're going to talk about one more today, and then we're going to look at the next four next week. But the fourth strategic thing that Jehoshaphat did right, and remember, this again is in his darkest moment. And don't leave me on this one, but what he did is he prayed. He prayed, and a lot of all you going, I'm Baptist, man, I know all about prayer, right? And you're fixing to bore me to death. I'm fixing to drop into one of those comas you was talking about, all right? Well, don't leave me yet because I think we can really learn some things to apply to our own prayer life during a dark moment, especially because we, we can learn some things from what Jehoshaphat prayed and how God answered, all right? It begins in verse 5. Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord. Who built that temple back? Is his dad. Remember that from last week? And so he prayed, and he's praying out loud in front of all these people that's gathered together, you know, probably thousands of people. He says, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. It sounds familiar, right? It's almost like the prayer his father prayed. No one can stand against you. Oh, our God, did you not drive out those who lived in the land when your people Israel arrived? And did you not give this land forever to your descendants of your friend Abraham? Verse 8. Your people settled here and built this temple to honor your name. They said, whenever we're faced with any calamity, such as war, plague, or famine, that is, a dark moment, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. Then in verse 10, And now see what the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir are doing. You would not let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt, so they went around them and did not destroy them. That is, they, they let them go. They didn't bother them. Now see how they reward us, for they have come to throw us out of your land, which you gave us as an inheritance. We let them go. Now look what they're doing. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? This is his prayer. We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do. He's praying this out loud in front of everybody. He's the king. King said, I don't know what to do. But we are looking to you for help. We don't know what to do, but we're looking to you for help. In his dark moment, Jehoshaphat comes out in front of all these people. And he first reminds himself and all these people of what God has done in the past and who God is still at that moment. And he says, you know, our power comes from you, oh God. Remember that message? 
No one is more powerful than you are, God. This army that's coming, they're not stronger than you are. You're still the strongest. You're still the mightiest out there. And then he goes on praying. I think he's praying more to remind himself as much as he is the people. But he goes on and says, hey, we built this church here to worship you. And you promised that whenever we come here, no matter how dark our moment gets, no matter how dark our moment gets, that you're going to be there. And that if we ask you to save us during our dark moment, that you would. Well, guess what? Here we are. And we're asking. We're calling on you to keep your promise. So what's it going to be, God? Are you real or are you not? What about you? You ever been in the middle of a dark moment? And you cried out to God, and as soon as you did, you kind of wandered way on deep down inside. Is the God that I say that I serve, is he really real? I have. There have been several dark moments when I've cried out. And I said, God... I've served you all of my life, but buddy, I'm going to tell you what. If you're real, you better show up right now because I need you. And I'm here to declare to you today that God is real. He's always showed up in my dark moment, and he'll show up in your dark moment too because that's who God is. And you know what I found out about God? It's not only does he show up, but he especially shows up in your dark moment. And you know what? He will rescue you too. That's what God does. He'll do that. Well, Jehoshaphat, he ended his prayer like many of us have done a hundred times, right? He says, God, I'm bringing this to you. It's a dark moment for me. And guess what, God? I don't know what to do, but I need some help. Have you ever done that? Well, that's what Jehoshaphat did. Look, look how God answered him, verse 13. This is good stuff right here. God says, as all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, Wives and children. I mean, they got children's church all up in there too now. They're not just doing regular church. They got them all together. Got all the little ones. Babies are crying. Everything's going on, okay? It's happening. And then don't miss this. The Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. Not Jehoshaphat now. Don't miss this. This is big. Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Madaniah, a Levite who was a descendant of Asaph. He said, listen, that is this Jehaziel guy, not Jehoshaphat now, it's changed. This is Jehaziel now speaking to the people. He says, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is your, not yours, but God's. The battle is not yours, but God's. You know, we all face dark moments where we have felt alone. But God's reminding us today, folks, that if you're fully committed to him, that if you have truly said, God, I am yours, all that I am is yours, all that I have is yours, and you have fully devoted your life to him, let me tell you, folks, the eyes of the Lord have seen you today. 
The eyes of the Lord have seen you. He sees you. He knows what's going on in your life. He sees you in your dark moment. And he's here to strengthen you. And you know what? The best part of this, God is saying, hey, your dark moment is not your dark moment. Your dark moment is actually my dark moment because your battle is not yours. It's mine. God's saying, you don't have to fight it. The battle you think you've got to fight, the thing that you think you've got to face, mm-mm. You don't have to worry about it. I got you. The battle is not yours. It's mine. Jehaziel continues on, verse 16. Tomorrow, go down against them. You will see them coming up from the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley, facing the wilderness of Jeruel. And listen to this, verse 17. You do not have to fight this battle. You do not have to fight this battle. Well, what are we going to do? He says, position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. He's saying, just show up. You just be faithful and show up. And I'll show out. God says, if you show up, he'll show out. He is with you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Tomorrow, go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. Isn't that good? Gets better, verse 18. Then Jehoshaphat knelt low with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord to worship him. Again, thousands of people gathered together. Can you picture that in your mind? All of them knelt down with their face to the ground, knelt down. Man, you're talking about a prayer meeting. They're all knelt down. And then it says in verse 19, Then the Levites from the sons of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord of God of Israel, shouting loudly. So you got people bowed down, praying quietly. You got people jumping up, shouting loudly. Revival, folks. Revival's going on. Can you picture it? I mean, that's good stuff. So I want to leave you with this thought today. That's the God. That's the same God that they bowed to back then who said, the fight is not yours, it's mine. That same God is who you and I are fully committed to today. Same God. Won't you bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment? Is every head bowed and every eyes closed? You know, there's usually something every week that God kind of puts before me that kind of just jumps out at me that he says, hey, Nikki, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't let the people miss this. So here's what I want you to see today. This is what jumped out at me. Jehoshaphat, you know, he was definitely the rock star in this story, right? But look who God used to answer his prayer and to give God's instruction on what to do during a whole nation's dark moment. What did he do? He picked a guy by the name of Jehaziel. And it got me to thinking, Here it is. Don't miss it. It got me to thinking. What if Jehaziel hadn't shown up that day? What if he just stayed home? He just hung out in his tent. That day he said, you know what? I know the king's called everybody together, but you know what? They're going to be all right without me. I don't have to go today. And you know what? I don't have any doubt in my mind whatsoever that God wouldn't have found someone else to speak his instructions through. I don't have any doubt about that because God always uses somebody who is willing to be used. But here's the deal, and don't miss this. Because Jehaziel, if he hadn't shown up that day, he would have missed the moment. He would have missed his moment 
to be God's spokesperson. So let me ask you a question this morning. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed just between you and the Lord. Would you ever want to miss your moment for God? Would you? Would you ever want to miss your moment for God? For those who are struggling with your commitment to God today, I want to encourage you to, to do what Jehoshaphat did. I want to encourage you to commit to praying for God's guidance in your life. Just begging. God, I don't know what to do in my life right now, but I need your help. Would you do that? And then would you commit to being present with God's people to gather together because we are better together than we are apart. And then those of you that might be facing a dark moment, whether in person or watching by television today or listening to the podcast, maybe you're facing a dark moment. Would you just do this right now? You don't have to say it out loud, but would you just say it in your heart between you and God? Would you, would you just say right now, in this dark moment that I'm facing, the battle is yours, Lord. The battle is yours. The battle is yours. God, thank you for your word today. Thank you for encouraging us that God, when we look for your guidance, when we turn to you in our darkest moment, you are there. And God, you not only hear our prayers and you not only see us in our darkest moment, but you fight the fight for us. All we have to do is show up. So God, today we want to show up. We want revival to come to Eastern Heights. We want revival to come to our individual lives. And God, that is our prayer today. Send us revival. God, revive us. Show us what to do in all the things you're calling us to do. We ask it in the name of Christ. All God's people together said... We hope you were encouraged by this message today. If you would like more details on our church, please visit us at ehbcstatesboro.org.